we left off last week in verse 9 of chapter 1, where we read that we've been called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Called into fellowship, that's a pretty significant thing, isn't it? Isn't that an awesome thing? John would go on to write about that in 1 John chapter 1, first four verses, just kind of in summary, he, he said, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Another Bible right over here on the side. If there's so, oh, we're out of Bibles. Okay, just grab a Bible uh, from the person next to you and they can <laughs> figure it out then after that. All right. So John says, we write these things to you that your joy may be full. There's great joy that comes when we experience that blessed fellowship with the Lord that we've been called into. And here's the thing, is that when we're in right fellowship with Jesus, as Paul says in verse 9, we've been called into, when we're in right fellowship with Jesus, it's going to make a difference in how we fellowship one with another. There's going to be a, a greater consistency and joy just in our fellowship with one another. If our fellowship is out of sorts with the Lord, guess what? That's going to have an effect in our fellowship with one another. And so Paul is writing here in 1 Corinthians to point out some of these issues that have been going on in the church at, at Corinth. And he's writing to, to share some of the problems they've been having, but I think part of the problems that they've been having is because they've gotten their eyes off of Jesus. And it's interesting that Paul, in the first nine verses here uh, of 1 Corinthians, he emphasizes Jesus Christ so much. Some nine times you're going to see Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, Christ our Lord, Christ, Lord Jesus Christ. Paul emphasizes that a lot too, just the fact that he's to be your Lord. And, and that's the question for us. Are, are we truly living with our sights fixed upon Jesus where he's not just some part of our life, but he's truly our Lord, where, where he's governing our life. Everything we're doing, we're wanting to center around Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Is he the one that's governing your life? And you see, when that's in place, then you're going to see uh, a fellowship and a church coming together with greater unity. And that was the problem that Paul is having to address here in the section of scriptures that we're looking at here this morning. Because when Jesus is the center and, and, and that's right in the life of the believer, then there's going to be far less chance of a church that's spinning out of control in division and dissension. J. Allen Blair said, First Corinthians is so vital to us because conditions haven't changed much. Many of the problems that confronted the Corinthians plagued present day believers as well. Living wisely for God is not easy in the midst of a sinful and materialistic age, but 1 Corinthians now is filled with valuable and important lessons which are essential for our walk in the Lord. I'm, I'm just excited to be going through this book here with you guys, not because we're a church filled with problems, but because <laughs> uh, we want to be a church that doesn't have to deal with problems. And Paul points out so many of those things that are going on in the church of Corinth to safeguard us now from seeing those things happening in our church. There's great application and practicality to the letter of 1 Corinthians that we're gonna, I believe, benefit from. So Paul says here in verse 10, check this out. Now, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that, that there be no divisions among you, 
but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So here's Paul. Now, again, he's had nine verses of kind of pleasantries. Things are nice. Thank God for the grace that he's shown. I just love you, God. But now it's like verse 10. Now let's get down to business, all right? There's some stuff that we got to put on the table and deal with. So now it's like, now, brethren. And again, notice this. He's talking to believers. He addresses the brethren. This isn't people in the world. He's not trying to hold the world up to a standard uh, of, of Christianity that they, you know, are not functioning in. He's calling out the church, the brothers here, brothers and sisters in the Lord that should be living differently, that should be knowing better, and yet they're not living this stuff out. So he's calling them out now, brethren. And notice this, I love this. He says, I plead with you, brethren. I plead with you. Paul has every right as an apostle. It says in verse one, he says, I'm, I'm called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And it's, it's through the will of God. This isn't my doing. I'm an apostle. So Paul has every right to play the apostle card and say, now listen, guys, you are out of line. You got to get, you got to shape up right now. You got to buck up. You got to get back in line here. He could come down authoritatively and very commandingly as an apostle. But that's not what Paul does. He says, I plead with you, brethren. This is a great word in, in the Greek language. Because that word for plead with you is um, parakaleo. Can we, we need to start doing like popcorn and can of stuff. I just feel like I'm at a ball game right now, coming down the aisle with, doing a good job, Jan. Thank you. I'm just getting a little distracted. She's like, hey, what can I get you? I'll take a coffee if possible, maybe, but... Sorry, a little distracting. That's good. But you're on it, John. Thank you very much. Well done. <laughs> All right. So we'll use the 10 o'clock service for the online edition of the sermon here. Um, so one of these, this word, parakleo, I plead with you, parakleo, it's also translated in scripture as comfort, encourage, or beseech. I love that word beseech. It's a, learned, a word we kind of lost in our modern language. It's like Paul saying, I beseech you, brethren, in the name of, it's like you got to use a British accent. It just sounds very kind of like royal and, and regal. It's very neat. I beseech you, but it's this idea of encouraging. That's what Paul is doing here. He's, he's calling out to them. This word, parakleo, is the same form of the word used for the comforter that Jesus spoke of regarding the Holy Spirit, where he used the word parakletos, for the comforter. And it means to call to one side, to urge, to call to one's aid. This is Paul here, not speaking authoritatively, playing the apostle card, but speaking compassionately. Almost like saying, guys, I want to encourage you to do that which is going to be beneficial and to your benefit. When you come alongside what I have for you, what I'm, what I'm calling you to. Paul's heart of concern is matched by this heart of compassion he has for the church. I love that word paracleo. It's a word that I've come to really, I think, understand in a further way because, you know, for years and years, from even the pulpit here, I would take time to, you know, make fun of and, and mock cat owners. <laughs> Any cat owners here today? All right, thank you for your honesty, guys. Um, and I don't know if it's in the Lord's just humor or punishment of something I've done, but I've become in the last couple of years a cat owner. 
Thank you. No, no applause needed. I'm still praying that through. Um, but I've come to understand this word parakaleo very well. Because those of you that, that own cats, you know very well, like my cat loves to get out, you know, outside, especially at nighttime, roaming around. And there's a problem though, because, you know, we got coyotes that live not too far from our house. We can hear them howling at night. We got coyotes out there and cats make for a great midnight snack for coyotes, right? In fact, we used to have two cats. True story, two cats. One of them didn't come home one night and most likely coyote food. It was, it was expendable, not a big deal. But this last cat, <laughs> this other cat now is a cat I've actually come to love. I really appreciate my cat and, and his name's Ozzy. But I understand this word paracleo now because when my cat gets out and it's time to go to bed, we gotta bring our cat in so that it's not coyote food. Now, I'm like, well, you know what? Cats are gonna do what they're gonna do. He's gotta pay the consequences. But my wife is a little bit more concerned about it. It's like, you gotta get the cat in. So I know when I go outside, I have to paracleo. I can't sit there and go, Ozzy, get in here now. <laughs> that cat's not gonna, in fact, if that cat is off in the distance, he's gonna be looking at me like, you talking to me? <laughs> not, not like that, you ain't talking to me. I'm like, yeah, okay, I understand. So I have to paracleo, I have to be like, Ozzy, come on, come along, come here. I've got something for you, it's gonna be good. Come inside, it's gonna be to your benefit. Come on, Ozzy. And I have to paracleo, I have to plead with my cat to come inside because there's something good for him. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's pleading with the church to say, guys, I don't want you to continue on in this path of hurt and to your detriment. There's something better for you. So he's urging for them. And what is he urging for them to do? To be of the same mind, to speak the same thing. He goes, that's what he says there. He says, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. Now, that's great counsel, isn't it? Speak the same thing. I think we'd all have to say, yes, let's speak the same thing, but then we might argue over what that same thing is. That same thing, I would say, is my thing. It's like, let's all speak the same thing I'm speaking. Let's all have the same mind as I, hey, you over there causing divisions, get in line with what I am about. Let's speak the same thing. We can all argue over that. That's, again, not what Paul is saying. It's not about finding the right thing to speak about, or, or sorry, it's not about speaking the same thing. It's about speaking the right thing. And the right thing to speak about is about Jesus Christ. That's what, what Paul is implying here. Speak the same thing. He's like, have that uniform testimony. Have that same kind of word about Jesus Christ. He's the one that we should be focused on and promoting as we gather together as the church. We should be looking to elevate Jesus Christ above everything else. And as we'll see, this church in Corinth wasn't doing that. They were drawing party lines leading to divisions. Now, we can have differences of opinions. It's okay. We don't all have to be like robots programmed to just, you know, spit out the same thing. We can have differences of opinion, but these should not cause us to separate or draw lines in the sand over. We don't need to part company with one another because they have a different view over something that we might have, as long as it doesn't conflict with what we say about Jesus, that we speak the same thing but the things of Christ. In other words, we don't want to minor on the majors and we don't want to major on the minors. We want it to be about Jesus. We want to keep him the focus and have a right biblical view of Jesus. So Paul says, speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you. That was kind of the outcome of them not speaking the same thing, not having the same you know, things to say about Christ. 
it was leading to divisions and that there be no divisions. That word for divisions in the Greek is schisma. It speaks of a disagreement and separation that takes place between people. It more accurately describes a tearing or a splitting. It's something that causes damage. It's sometimes hard to repair damage. Just like a tear, it's sometimes hard to mend and fix. So Paul is pleading with them not to continue down that path that brings about damage and hurt. So the divisions in the church at Corinth were, were creating cliques and separation among people. Hey guys, it's not wrong to have a circle of friends that you're close with in the church as long as that's not a closed circle. As long as it's not a circle that is excluding other people, but rather that is being inclusive and you're inviting people in. Our, our, our circle should never be restricting people, but should be inviting people in. See, Satan loves division, doesn't he? Satan loves to get into our midst and start to create, you know, gossip, fighting, dissensions that leads to division. Satan loves that. When, when we see divisions in a church, we know that's the work of the flesh. That's a, a work of the enemy taking place. That's not of the Lord. That's not, unless it's, again, if it's based on secondary things. It's not a good thing. See, when we make peripheral things, or like I said, secondary things, when we make those things the more important things, then we're gonna be out of balance. When certain views or positions rise above that of Jesus, then we're going to not be experiencing unity. When we allow the peripheral secondary things to be greater than Jesus, then you're out of balance and it's heading for trouble. Because we all find unity and harmony in and through Jesus. Don't let anything rise above him in importance in our lives and in our community together as a church. In other words, and, and, and look at what's going on in the world today. Look at what is happening in society where Division is happening more and more at a rapid rate based on so many different views that people can have towards things that are going on in the world. And the enemy is having a heyday and allowing divisions to come. But when Jesus is the center, when Jesus is the priority, when Jesus is preeminent and greater than all these other things, then we can walk in, un in unity. In other words, you can have an anti-vaxxer and a pro-vaxxer walk in unity and love together when Jesus is the greater value above those things. You can have a, a, a liberal and a, and a conservative walk in unity and love when Jesus is more important than those things. You can have a person that holds to a pre-tribulation rapture view hang out with a person that holds a post-tribulation rapture view and when Jesus is above all those things, then you can still be in harmony. I mean, one of them is greatly wrong, but you can still walk in <laughs> harmony. And you could be a Canucks fan hanging out with a Flames fan and... Actually, that's probably where you draw the line is. That's where you have to go. No, that's probably going too far there on that one. Steve, you're an exception. We'll, we'll still accept you, Steve. But other than that, like, but, but that's the thing is that we sometimes hold these things to such a value and importance in our lives that it brings about disunity and, and differences and division. And it's not of the Lord because we're not holding Jesus above those things. 
What Paul is saying is that you can have differences of opinions on the peripheral things, but when it comes to the important things, the things that Jesus were to be on the same team, speak the same thing. Paul's desire is that they be now perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. That word for perfectly joined together is the Greek word katartizo, and it means to, to render, to fit, sound and, and complete, to mend what has been broken or rent, to repair. Remember what, what that division meant? It meant to like tear, and now be perfectly joined together. Paul says, this is what's gonna help bring that kind of healing and, and, and mending these things together. Barclay says, this is like a medical word used for knitting together bones that have been fractured or, or joining together a joint that's been dislocated. This disunion, or the disunion is unnatural, and it must be cured for the sake of the health and efficiency of the body of the church. Are you seeking to be joined together to where we begin to become a much fuller and greater you know, expression of Jesus Christ as we walk in unity? There's a man that sold trees at a Christmas tree farm, and a couple came in one day, and they were looking a little bit down and out, kind of out of their element, like they didn't have a lot of money to spend. And they looked through the trees and they grabbed a hold of this one tree that was kind of full on one side, but the other side of that tree was just all kind of, you know, no branches. There's nothing growing there. And then they grabbed another tree, much the same. One side was, was full, but the other side was just not good at all, not much happening. And they went to the sales and said, you know, would you take like five bucks for these trees? And the man thought, well, I'm probably not going to get much else for those things. Nobody's going to want those. So he sold them for five bucks, and the couple took them home. And the salesman was out walking down a street one day, and he noticed this same couple in, in and through the living room. And he noticed in the living room window this great, full, lush Christmas tree sitting there. And he was so intrigued and thought, where did they get this from? And they went, he went and knocked on the door and said, hey, I don't know if you remember me. I was at the Christmas tree farm, sold you the trees, and, and yet... Where'd this tree come from? This tree is so glorious and rich and, and lush. The couple said, well, we just took these two trees and we put them together on the sides that didn't have much happen. We wrapped some wire around the trunks, joining them together, and the branches just began to become intertwined and formed just a, a full and rich tree. And it's kind of like us here, though we've got shortcomings, deficiencies, and we've got flaws, we're to walk in unity as we come together and seek to be perfectly joined together and, and, and form this body of Christ that makes much of him. That as we walk together in unity, we have a greater, fuller expression of who Jesus is. Paul would say in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 5, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort or love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul says, have that same mind, and not just finding out whose mind to have. Have the mind of Christ is what he's saying. Have that mind of Christ. Speak now the same thing, he says in, in 1 Corinthians. And, and he closes here saying that you be joined together in the same mind, the mind of Christ, and the same judgment. That's not about judging one another, 
judging those that maybe are causing. No, it's speaking of having the same purpose. It's a different word used than the typical judgment that we talk about in the Bible. This is about having the same purpose. Be the same mind, be the same judgment, the same purpose, walk in unity together. This is what Paul is declaring, calling the church to, and pleading with them, urging them to come alongside him in these things. And it's a wake-up call to all of us, isn't it? Say, are we, are we walking in unity one with another? Are we holding on to certain views and opinions at a greater expense or at the expense of, of walking now in disunity with others that don't hold that same view? Or are we holding Jesus higher and greater and above all those other things? It's a call to all of us here. And then Paul says in verse 11, he gets down to the, the source of all this. For it's been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. So it's been reported to Paul by those in Chloe's household. Uh, we don't know much about Chloe. We know she's a woman. I think in light of all that's going on in the culture today, it's maybe a good time to stop and just talk a little bit about, well, what is a woman? No, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's apparently a tough question to answer these days for some. But Chloe's a woman. We don't know where she's located exactly. It could be that she's living in Ephesus because remember Paul's in Ephesus right now as he's writing this letter to the church at Corinth. Word from Chloe's household is coming to Paul. Perhaps some in her household traveled to Corinth and they attended the church and they saw what was going on. They're like, man, this is not good. And they go back to Ephesus and they report to Paul. Perhaps Chloe lives in Ephesus, in Corinth. And members of her church are attending, or members in her house are attending the church there. And now on some, you know, travel plans, they make it to Ephesus and they're reporting to Paul. Regardless of what happens, word gets back to Paul that there's contentions in the church and among the Corinthian believers there. And these contentions were revolving around who they were aligning themselves with. Look at verse 12. Now I say this, that each of you says, I'm a Paul or I'm of Apollos or I'm a Cephas, which is Simon Peter, or I'm a Christ. Paul asked, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? So what we see happening here is that there are four groups, four parties essentially that had emerged out of this church. There was the Paul party, the Apollos party, the Peter party, and the Jesus party. Four parties basically emerged that they were all kind of looking to align themselves into one of these groups. Some felt Paul is the obvious right guy to be aligning with and to be following. He's the guy that founded the church of Corinth. He's our guy. Now remember, Corinth was a Roman colony. There's a lot of Gentile, a lot of Greek people there. And so Paul, remember, was called to deliver the gospel to the Gentiles. So they're all thinking, he's, he's for us, man. He's all about coming, sharing with us. He's the founder of the church. He's the guy, obviously, that we need to follow. But then you've got those that are aligning themselves with Apollos. Now, Apollos was introduced to us in Acts chapter 18. It says there that he was a man eloquent and mighty in scriptures. So this guy spoke really well. He, got a, he had a real good working knowledge of the scriptures. So for those in Corinth, and again, there was a great educated group there, the intellectual elite, the philosophers, they're all going, Apollos, 
gets us. He speaks our language. He's like one of us, man. He's the right guy to follow. You want to really know the word, man, you connect up with Apollos. You join our group. But then you got people now going, no, 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 no. Wait a second. Peter, he's one of the original apostles. He's the closest link we have to Jesus. He's the guy that we need to align with. Man, follow Peter and you're going to be closer to Jesus. Let's line up with him. And then Peter again, a solid Jew. And, and there are a lot of Jewish people in Corinth as well. So they're all going, no, he's, he's one of us, man. We're going we're gonna to line up with Peter. We like Peter. He's a no-holds-barred kind of guy. He just gets things done. And uh, we like him. We're going to follow him. And then lastly, you got the Jesus party. The party, you think, the obvious party. Everybody's probably going, oh, you guys, you're all following a bunch of men. We've got Jesus as our leader. We're following the right person here. You guys got it all wrong. You got to line up with Jesus. Now, you would think, again, that's the obvious party. That's the, that's the group you need to line up with. Why, why are these other groups all following men when they could be following? They, they got it all wrong. But yet, Paul calls them all out on this. He's not trying to say, yeah, some of you got it right, some of you got it wrong. He's saying, all of you guys. What the problem was is that it wasn't so much that people looked up to or appreciated different leaders. The problem was that they viewed themselves better than others based on who they were following. Even the Jesus party was using that as a bit of a prideful issue to say, no, we're really the spiritual ones. We're following Jesus. You guys, man, no way. And yet they were using it for themselves. This boasting in who they were following was ultimately boasting in themselves. They were essentially saying, we're better than you because we follow and fill in the blank. That's what was happening in the church of Corinth. And it was the beginning of denominationalism. Hey, denominations aren't bad. Denominations aren't wrong. But when they begin to divide us or give us a sense of superiority over others, now we're heading for trouble. There was a man that was walking along a bridge and he noticed a, a woman standing on the side of the bridge ready to jump off. And the man ran over to the woman and said, don't do it, it's not worth it. There's so much to live for. And we said, well, like what? And the man said, well, are you religious or are you atheist? The woman said, I'm, I'm, I'm religious. The man said, me too. He said, are you Christian or Jewish? Well, I'm Christian, she said, me too. Are you Catholic or Protestant? She said, I'm Protestant. I am as well, amazing. And the man went on to say, are you Episcopalian or Baptist? The woman said, I'm Baptist. Me too. Are you Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord? The woman said, I'm Baptist Church of God. Me too. Are you original Baptist Church of God or are you reformed Baptist Church of God? The woman said, I'm reformed Baptist Church of God. Well, I am as well. And the man said, are you reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1879? Or are you reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915? And the woman said, I'm reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915. And the man said, you heretic. And he pushed her off. <laughs> See, we can, we can allow such stupid, dumb stuff to divide us. The, the peripheral, secondary things that really don't matter to begin to divide us and separate us. And this church here at Corinth was no different. They were allowing little things to separate them and to bring them into 
different party lines that were bringing them out of line with who Jesus was and what their focus should be. The key, again, is to keep the main thing the main thing. Don't get sidetracked by petty things that really don't matter. Keep in the fellowship of Jesus, just as we were called into in verse 9. Stay in that fellowship of Jesus and focus on that which binds us rather than that which bugs us or bothers us. Focus on that which keeps us in unity. So Paul asks three questions here, of which all of them have this kind of implied, resounding no answer to them. He says, first of all, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were any of you baptized into the name of Paul? Three questions he asks, all of which the answer is no. Now, in saying is Christ divided, I'm so thankful that Jesus never came into the world to, to bring division. Even though, yes, we, we understand that following Christ, there's going to be lines drawn. We, we get that. But his heart and his purpose was not to be exclusive, but to be inclusive and to invite everybody in. He was not there among his disciples, you know, bringing division among the group. Like, he, it, it could be very tempting for Jesus at the end of a day of serving and ministering to gather some of his disciples and be like, guys, hey, come here. Did you guys see what Peter did today? What a nut job that guy is. Gets, keeps putting his foot in his mouth. Man, that guy's a real problem. What are we going to do? We got to get rid of it. Like, Jesus is not there kind of trying to bring dissension among the ranks. He's seeking to continue to unify one another and to be very inclusive. But then when Paul says it's Christ divided, it's more so speaking about Christ being kind of divvied up for different groups. And, and Christ is not to be divvied up. among. It's not that we have a group over here that's very separatist group, but okay, we'll give you Jesus. You can have Jesus. Another group over here that's, again, another separatist kind of group. Okay, yes, you can have Jesus over here, but you guys, you know, stay, stay separate from it. No, Christ is not divided. If you're a Christian, we're all one in Christ and we're to be operating together as one. Now, that's what Jesus prayed in John 17, that they may be one as you and I are one, Father. That's Jesus' prayer for us, that we be united. Christians are all one in Christ. So Christ is not divided. And then Paul says, I mean, come on, was I crucified for you? See, nobody owes their allegiance to anyone but Christ. Oh, we can be thankful for people that shared the gospel with us, that, that led us to the Lord. We can be thankful for people, no doubt. But we don't owe our allegiance to anyone but Christ. Paul says, was I crucified for you? Am I the one that you should really be exalting or even following here? See, Paul's quick to put down any potential fan club that might be growing in support of him. He's not the one to build a following after. He didn't give his life for others to be saved. What good can Paul do except point people to the one that is good? And that's Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. And Paul says, were you baptized in the name of Paul? Was, was Paul seeking to kind of amass some sort of personal disciple, uh, group of disciples and following? No, he wasn't baptizing people in his name. He was pointing people to Jesus. In fact, Paul can barely remember who he baptized because it wasn't that, that wasn't the, the focus for Paul. Even though you can look at baptism and go, well, is Paul trying to put down baptism? Is he? No, we, 
We understand the importance of baptism. Paul, Paul says here in verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. He can't remember. Now, Crispus, remember, was the ruler of the synagogue in Corinth. He got saved. Gaius was a person that welcomed Paul in and hosted Paul. And, and Paul baptized these guys. He baptized the household of Stephanus. After that, he's like, and I don't even know who baptized, because that's not what I was about. I wasn't trying to do something to get people following after me. Again, this is not to make a case to dismiss baptism or its importance. Paul saw that it was important, but it was irrelevant as to who did the baptizing. The importance was on who you were being baptized into, and that's Jesus Christ. It becomes that public testimony of what Jesus has done for you. By the way, we're having a baptism next Sunday after 11.30 service. Those of you that haven't been baptized, want to be baptized, sign up online. We're going to do a Zoom call tomorrow and go over that. So join in if you haven't been baptized or want to be baptized next Sunday. Going to be good. So the issue here is that people in the church were making a big deal over individuals rather than the focus being on Jesus. And it's, a, it's kind of a scary thing, you know, what we see going on in, in our in the culture of the church today, because more and more we're seeing like this celebrity pastorship on the rise, where it's so easy to follow after these big names. And with, you know, social media, it's so easy to see people being elevated and promoted to where people begin to follow after these individuals. And, and with the, you know, great rise of many of these it's sad to see you know the fall of some of them and and it's such a, a a dangerous thing when we begin to kind of follow after people rather than the lord and there there are people out there that are it, it seems like at times they're they're looking to promote themselves more than they are promoting jesus and we have to be so careful that we're not seeking after and there's a lot listen there's a lot of great people that i love to listen to online and I know there's a lot of great people that you like to listen to online. I hear it a lot. I just heard the most wonderful message. Oh man, this person preaches the Bible like I've never heard before. I'm like, thank you for that. <laughs> it's okay. I'm good with that. And I'm like, you're right. They are awesome. And there's a lot of great people I love to listen to as well. But we've got to be careful that we're not getting pulled into following people, but rather we are simply following Jesus. That we're holding him above everything else. And that was the problem here in the church at Corinth. They were lying themselves with people, they were falling after people to the detriment of their focus being on Jesus and then their fellowship being interrupted. Divisions coming in, squabbles, dissensions, contentions with one another. Paul continues on here in verse 17. We're gonna wrap up here quickly, but Paul says in verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Notice what we're seeing there. Paul says, I wasn't called to baptize. Again, not that baptism wasn't important. Paul did baptize people. We're called to follow in obedience to baptism. We're called to do that. Baptism is a good thing. It's not what Paul is getting at here. But his focus was simply preaching the gospel, promoting Jesus. And that 
ultimately centered around the cross. He says, I didn't come with wise words. In other words, I didn't come with trying to put on a demonstration of how great I was. I didn't come with some kind of gimmick to kind of trick you in or, or trap you in. I came simply with the message and the power of the cross. He says, I don't want to, I don't want to use some other kind of a, a gimmick or, or speak in some kind of wisdom or promote myself because then the cross becomes of no effect. It, it, it kind of distracts from the importance of what Jesus had done. That was Paul's mission, was to promote Jesus and the work he did for us on the cross. The entire theme of the Bible is the provision made for the redemption of sinners through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice what he says in verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Why is the cross foolish to those who are perishing? Well, I think a couple of reasons. I think, first of all, because people want to think that they can save themselves. They don't want to think somebody had to come and rescue them. Oh no, it's okay, I don't need Jesus. He didn't need to come and do that for me. I'm, I'm good, I'm a, I'm a pretty good guy, I don't sin much and I think I'm doing all right. I live a good life and try to do good things so I think I'll be all right. And, it, and it's an affront to their pride that somebody had to come and die as a sacrifice for them. They don't want to think that it took someone better than them to pay the penalty for their sin. Secondly, for some of Paul's day, it seemed a foolish thing to follow a leader that couldn't even protect his own life. They go, what? You want me to follow after God like that? You want me to, you want me to think that he's to be our savior and God, he couldn't even keep his own life. What benefit is that to me? Now, especially to the Greek culture in that day because they saw their gods, and many gods, they saw their gods as just powerful, mighty, strong. They were gods to be feared. You think of like Thor, you know, coming down and being this mighty one. And they had their gods that they looked at. They're like, man, that's it. And then they see Jesus who's dying on a cross and they go, what kind of a, a God is that? And the cross for people in this day was the epitome of humiliation. In fact, Roman citizens couldn't be crucified on a cross because it was so shameful and humiliating and, and painful that anybody who's a Roman citizen would not have to suffer that kind of a fate. Remember, Corinth is a, Ro a Roman colony. So many living there would have to suffer this. But they saw the cross as such a shameful thing. And so they think, God came and suffered shame like that? That seemed like foolishness. Now for us today, we, we get it. We understand we've kind of glorified or beautified the cross, right? I mean, we have cross around our necklaces or jewelry and there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying, oh, people start, you know, people start, oh yeah, that's me. Now it's all good. I think it's great. But, but it shows we kind of beautified and glorified the cross. But the equivalence of that today would be like going up to somebody and saying, listen, I found peace. I found salvation and it's found in the electric chair. People today would look at you and go, what? What good can come out of the electric chair? That's for criminals. That's for the worst of the worst, and that was what the cross was. 
I mean, we sing songs about the cross, but could you imagine in our day, like, singing songs about the electric chair? At the electric chair, at the electric chair, where I first saw the light. That's kind of got a double meaning there, doesn't it? But, <laughs> the, but the, the person you're, you're talking to would hear that, and they'd be like, that's absurd. That's lunacy. And we really know there's, there's power in the electric chair. Yeah, I know there's power. I don't want nothing to do with that power. That's not good. But that was the equivalent to those in that day hearing about the cross going, man, that seems like foolishness. But yet, whatever the world thought was the right move, the wise move, God shows that he has a better move. He's flipping things upside down and doing something so wonderful, so powerful, that only those that put their trust in Jesus will experience that. That's why Paul says, cross is foolishness to those who are perishing that just aren't open to seeing what Jesus actually accomplished for us. But to those who are being saved, we understand it's the power for us. It's the power of God. It's the very means that Jesus used to save us. Because what's the cost of sin? It's death. We owed a debt because of our sin. Every single one of us was sinful and guilty before God. We owed a debt. And the only way to pay that debt was through death. But then that would be it. We would be perishing. But Jesus came and he paid the penalty for that debt. He paid the penalty for sin by dying on a cross and taking that death blow for you and for me. He took the very judgment of God that we deserved for that sin. He died and yet he rose again showing that his work was sufficient, was enough to save us. And the, all those that put their trust now in Jesus can be saved. We understand now that what Jesus did, that what God provided for us was actually the better thing. It was not a foolish thing. It was a good thing. And it was the power of God to accomplish our salvation. Praise the Lord for that. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. First, the power of God is salvation for everyone who believes. And that's the gospel. The, the good news that Paul came to preach was that Jesus died on a cross. He paid the penalty for your sin and my sin. Died and rose again, defeating sin, death, the grave, and has provided for us now eternal life. That's the power of God. This is something that people thought, man, what, what good can come out of that? And God showed the good that came out of that. In fact, Paul quotes now from Isaiah 29, verse 14, there in, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 19. He quotes from Isaiah to show that even from Old Testament history, the way the Lord has not changed. It's always been God's way to go against the tide of human wisdom and thinking. And he works in ways that go against or beyond human wisdom. We can't always figure him out, which is why we need to live by faith and trust him. Now that idea of being saved, let me just clarify something here, because we can read that. We're being saved, and we can read that and think, does that mean I'm not saved right now? I thought when I, I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sin, come be my Lord and Savior, I thought I was saved, but I'm, I'm only partially saved. What does that mean exactly? No. When you give your life to the Lord, when you repent of sin, which means to turn away from your way and go his way and accept him as your Lord and Savior, put your faith and trust in him for the provision 
of the forgiveness of sin, then you're saved. You're born again. You're a new creation now. That's done. You're saved. But there's a progression of salvation that we're a part of. It's a joyous journey. Because here's what we see. First of all, that we have been saved from the penalty of sin. Secondly, we're being saved from the power of sin. And thirdly, when Jesus comes again, we will be saved from the presence of sin. It's a progression that we're on. But you're saved right now. Born again, you're in Christ as you put your trust in Jesus. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. We're being saved from the power of sin. That's that sanctification work the Lord's doing us. And one day we're going to be saved from the very presence of sin where it'll no longer have an effect on us. Praise the Lord for that. This is what Jesus has accomplished for us through the cross. And Paul wants to emphasize that to say, I don't want the cross to be of any effect. I don't want to do anything that's going to point people to me or to anything that we're doing on the peripheral, secondary things. We want to all be about Jesus. May we be a church that are so completely focused on and elevating Jesus above every other thing that whatever opinion you might have, it does not cause division or separation, but we rise above those things and we focus on Jesus and say, may he be the one that brings us into unity together. Worship team, would you come up? And we're gonna close our time here with coming to Lord in communion. And as we talk about the power of the cross and the work that Jesus has done, this is what we get to do in communion. We get to reflect on and remember what Jesus has accomplished for us. This is an opportunity to celebrate the grace of God that he saved us despite us and has freely given salvation to us by the price that he paid, by the sacrifice that was made as he laid his life down on the cross for you and for me. If you are listening today, whether you're online in the overflow or in the sanctuary, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't know where you will be going when you die, I want you to know that that can be changed in a heartbeat. And you can have an assurance that you are in Christ today by simply calling out to Jesus and recognizing and admitting, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. I'm guilty before you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Forgive me and give me new life in you. Jesus, I want you to be my life. When you ask Jesus that, when you pray that prayer, also, you become a born-again Christian. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. Jesus changes you in a heartbeat as you look to him and call to him, confessing your need for him. Turn to him today and have that assurance that when you die, you are in Jesus and you are heading for eternal life with him in heaven. This communion is open for all that are believers. And again, if you're not a believer today, Call it to Jesus. Change that right now. Come to him. He invites you freely and he saves you freely by his grace. Receive it today. We're going to worship and as we sing, the ushers are going to hand out the emblems of communion. We have gluten-free crackers in the back table. If you need gluten-free, you can go ahead and pick one of those up in the back, but the rest of the emblems of communion will be passed out to you. Hold on to them and then we'll partake of them together here. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time we get to look to you and your word and we pray, Lord, that we would be a church. God, that's walking in the blessed unity as we've been called in the fellowship of the Lord. May we keep it about you, Jesus, and not allow dissensions 
contentions to come into our midst and bring division, Lord. May we elevate you above everything else, every opinion, every thought. May we speak the same thing, have the same mind, have the same judgment and, and purpose as we look to you here today. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that you've made it all possible for us to experience life in you and forgiveness of sin. What a blessing and joy that is. We thank you for that. We remember the work you've accomplished to make that all possible here today. Amen.